Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Hello, everyone. Halloween time. It's spooky month, my favorite. Um, (laughs) Everyone who has listened for a while knows that in October, I devote the whole month to spooky times and and horror and that kind of stuff. But I made a special exception this year because Edward Willett has put together this amazing anthology of sci-fi fantasy, and some of the stories can be dark and and scary. Um, But anyway, I wanted him to come on. I'm actually in the anthology. I have a story in it as well as Edward does, and he edited the whole thing. And so I'm eager for you guys to all hear from him and, and hear about this new anthology that's coming out. It's up for pre-order now, and it's called Shapers of Worlds. And um, I'm not going to tell you about it. I'm going to let Ever do it. But let me introduce him for you. If you've never read him before, you're in for a treat. He's the award-winning author of more than 60 books of science fiction, fantasy, and nonfiction for both children and adults. He's also the host of the Aurora Award-winning podcast, The World Shapers, conversations with sci-fi fantasy authors about the creative process. And I did put a link to that right there on the Blog Talk site if you're listening live or if you're listening later, you can check it out. He successfully kickstarted and edited a new anthology, Shapers of Worlds, and this is actually the second volume of it. Uh, featuring authors who were guests during guests on his podcast. Besides being a writer, Willett is also a professional actor and singer who has performed in dozens of plays, musicals, and operas in and around Saskatchewan. He's hosted local television programs and emceed numerous public events. He's married to a telecommunications engineer and has one daughter and a black Siberian cat named Shadowpaw. You can find out more about him on his website, and I do have his website link right there, so check it out. He's got a great newsletter and blog over there, too. And Edward, you there? I'm here. Yay! Great to have you back on. How have you been? I've been good. It's uh, great to be great to be back on and looking forward to launching this thing, <laughs> this anthology. Yeah, you've, you've been knee-deep in stories, huh? Yeah, yeah, it was... Uh, well, 24 stories in this one. The first one that I did last year was only 18, and this one was 24. And a lot of everybody, you know, I suggested 5,000 words, and everybody said, no, here's 17, here's 17,000 in one case. Uh, <laughs> that, that was a reprint, not an original. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, everybody wanted to, to have slightly longer stories, and uh, so I went with that. And so we ended up with 140,000 words of fiction in this one. Wow, that is so exciting. And the the theme of it is that is the all of these authors have been on your podcast. You want to tell everybody a little bit about what the podcast is and what inspired you to put together the anthology? Sure. Well, the podcast, you know, I've done radio and TV. I've had my own programs on locally uh, off and on over the years and I used to be a newspaper guy, so I've done lots of interviewing and lots of freelance interviewing as well for nonfiction stuff. So I thought, you know, I, I probably have the skills to do a podcast. And, you know, as <laughs> things tend to happen, I thought about that for, oh, I don't know, five years maybe. <laughs> and then finally, <laughs> because I had, yeah, I had a new series starting with Daw Books, my World Shaper series. Um, I thought, well, you know, it's, and it's about the World Shaper series is set in this labyrinth of shaped worlds, this 
multidimensional, extra-dimensional, I should say, I guess, labyrinth of shaped worlds where people from our world have shaped these worlds. So they're very much like authors living inside their stories. And I thought, well, that's a good thing to hang a, a writing-related podcast on. So I timed the launch of the podcast with the start of the series. And the other thing was that having been in the field for a while now, um, I've uh, I've uh, got a lot of uh, contacts, so I, there are people I could call up right off the bat to ask to be on it. So my first three guests were uh, John Scalzi, Robert J. Sawyer, and Tanya Huff, which I thought was a pretty good opening salvo. Yeah. And then Julie Sinead was right after that, and then I went on from there. And uh, then, so the podcast was running, uh, and it was going well, and people seemed to like it. And then a little bit later, in April of 2018, at the annual meeting of Sask Books, which is the association of publishers here in Saskatchewan, I'm on their board now, uh, I was then just a member, uh, this uh, other publisher came in from Winnipeg who had successfully kickstarted an anthology. Now, she had comic connections, and comic people are really big on Kickstarters. So she'd right. raised $100,000 for this anthology. And uh, wow. I was looking at that and thinking, I've never even heard of most of these authors. And I thought, well, I know authors people have heard of, so I wonder what I could do with that. <laughs> I know a few authors. So I reached out. I had to cut it off somewhere. And so I reached out. It still took me a while because, first of all, launching a Kickstarter, that was another, you know, launching a podcast was climbing up a, a learning curve. And launching a Kickstarter was climbing up an even steeper learning curve, it felt to me. I bet, Yeah. So it took me a while, but I did my research, and I reached out to everybody who was on the program during the first year just to arbitrarily, you know, uh, cut it off somewhere. And uh, 18 authors said yes. I had nine original stories and uh, nine reprints, and I had people in the first novel, in the first uh, anthology. I have – there's new stories from Sean and McGuire, Tanya Huff, David Weber, Ellie Modisett Jr., Dave Butler, Christopher Rocchio, John C. Wright, me, oddly enough, and uh, Shelley Adina. <laughs> and then there were reprints from John Scalzi, David Brin, Joe Haldeman, Julie Sharnada, Fonda Lee, Dr. Charles E. Gannon, Gareth L. Powell, Derek Kunskin, and Thoraya Dyer. So I, I launched the Kickstarter. It worked. The book came out <clears throat> last fall. Excuse me, I have a frog in my throat. <clears> throat> and, um, and I don't even like eating frogs. Uh, <laughs> not and, uh, well, that worked. Yeah, that worked. And I've done this thing for another year now. So why don't I reach out to my second year guests and see what I can do with a uh, second book. And this time, 24 people said yes. And the podcast succeeded. And so here we are. It's almost done. So this one will feature, uh, just to do a little name dropping, brand new stories from Kelly Armstrong. Marie Brennan, Garth Nix, Candace Jane Dorsey, Jeremy Shaw, there's that Edward Willett guy again, uh, Brian Thomas Schmidt, <laughs> Lisa Foyles, Susan Forrest, Matthew Hughes, Helly Kennedy, Helen Dale, Adria Laycraft, Edward Savio, somebody named Lisa Kester, uh, Ira Naiman, yeah, I know, I don't know how she got in there, uh, James Allen Gardner, and, and Tim Pratt, and then there are reprints from Jeffrey A. Carver, David D. Levine, Carrie Vaughn, Nancy Cress, Barb Hambly, and S.M. Sterling. So it's quite an amazing uh, collection of stories, and uh, as I said, 140,000 words total. It's it's uh, 546 pages in print, Wow. and the last one was uh, only 300 and some, I think, yeah, 350 or so. Wow. Do you see yourself doing this annually now that well, you've done Well, it's worked two? twice, and, you know, I do have a few other good authors who've already said they might be interested, people like, uh, oh, F. Paul Wilson and, the, you know, names like wow. that. 
mm-hmm. for the next one. So I will definitely try it again. And, you know, it'll go until a Kickstarter fails, and then I would probably not try to do another one if one if the if the current crop, you know, failed. Um, I don't know if I would try to do a, a book four after that or probably not. So, But hopefully it will succeed, and it succeeded twice. I don't know why it wouldn't. Right. I mean, the first one well, I launched in March 2020 when people, you know, there were other things going on at the time. So. Yeah, oh, my gosh, <laughs> when the whole world shut down. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's when people need stories the most. So. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it was well-received, the first one. So and it is a little odd on the anthology front because most anthologies have a, a theme like uh, – Oh, you know, ghost stories or uh, alternate right. history about the Civil War or whatever. And this one, and I, in my introduction, I, I refer to it as a cabinet of curiosities. It's just a, a selection of interesting things. It's really, the stories were selected by the authors. These were the stories that these authors wanted to showcase in this anthology. Um, because that was the whole point, was to showcase all these 24 authors. So it's it certainly runs the gamut. There is some spooky stuff in there for your spooky stuff month. <laughs> yes. And there's some comedy. Comedy. There's far future science, uh, space opera. There's a talking cat in my case. So there's lots of things. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and for the readers who are listening who um, maybe aren't familiar with Kickstarter and all that kind of thing, do you can you tell them really quickly? Why it? Why you chose to use a Kickstarter? And for people who don't know, Kickstarter can get you the money up front from supporters. Do you want to talk a little bit about how that made the anthology possible? Well, yes, because I was determined from the beginning. As a, you know, I've been a freelance writer now for coming up on thirty years. Um, Authors should get paid. Since you started when you were two years old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, my my, my first uh, published article was done in finger paint. but um, <laughs> And I wanted to pay professional rates, uh, you know. So I, I aimed for uh, 10 cents a word Canadian, which is about 8 cents a word U.S., depending on what the <laughs> exchange rate is. Right. Uh, which, you know, doesn't sound like a lot, but in fiction terms, that's not bad in the science fiction fantasy world. That's 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 a professional level. Um, and then reprints were half that. So I, I looked at that. I did my budgeting, and and then I knew what the cost of the books and everything. So it was in order to make this happen, I needed fifteen to $20,000 Canadian. Well, I didn't have that lying around, so that's right. where the Kickstarter comes in. And once I, then I know I have the money. That money just is there basically to pay the authors, pay all my upfront costs. I don't make any money. If I make any money, I won't make any money on this until it's sold some copies. So um, it's just a way to make it possible to bring this thing into the world. Right. And also for people listening, if you can go out and pre-order the book right now, that's how that's how Ed will get his, his money back <laughs> for all of his time in editing these stories, because he did go through every single story. I got edits every, you know, everybody got edits from Ed for their story to make it polished and the best it can be. And he did all of that out of his own, you know, writing time that could have been for writing. So everyone who buys a copy will help reimburse him for his time. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it's it's just what I do. I, I try not to think about it in terms of an hourly wage because that's too depressing. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, it, it is, it's my, it's my baby. 
Uh, and I am yeah. a one-man. I mean, it's, it's being published by Shadowpaw Press, which is my my personal publishing company, which uh, published the first one. And I published mostly it is published stuff from my back catalog. That for whatever I've killed a lot of publishers, uh, not metaphorically, <laughs> um, not literally. And so I have you know I have back books that are no longer don't have a publisher anymore. So I've been putting those out through Shadowpaw Press, and I did my grandfather-in-law's First World War memoirs through it, and I hope to publish maybe some stuff by other people down the road. But anyway, I'm it. You know, the the cat's picture is on there because he's my logo, Shadowpaw, but he's <laughs> no help at all when it comes what? to the editing and the layout and all that. So I designed the cover, and I did all the editing, and I all that stuff. It's just me. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, do you want to tell everybody a little bit about your story that's in there? And I can tease what mine's in there, and you can tell us what other gems sure. so people run out and grab it. Sure. Mine is uh, called Tybalt's Tale, T-H-I-B-A-U-L-D. Uh, the name has actually changed. It was going to be Tybalt, as in the Shakespearean character, but when uh, I submitted the novel that it, it's kind of a prequel to, to Daw, uh, my editor gently pointed out that they have a long-running series at Daw, who's one of the main characters is Tybalt, and they didn't want any confusion between him and my talking cat. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I changed it to Tybalt, which is the French version of the same thing. Uh, and it's a prequel, as I said, to the my next novel for Daw, which is a humorous far-future space opera called The Tangled Stars, and it introduces the three main characters. Um, Cooper Douglas, who's kind of a He's kind of a thief. He calls it pre-salvage. Everything ends up as salvage. He just salvages it before anybody else does. Um, and uh, Lisa Gray, who's uh, this kind of a and and uh, an expert on AI and computers and things like that. And then Tybalt, who's a genetically modified uh, AI uplifted cat. He has a quantum foam artificial intelligence overlay on his feline brain. So he's very much a cat, but he's also uh, super intelligent AI, and uh, he has the attitudes of a cat, <laughs> but he has this, this brain, uh, and he's also a major character. So this introduces how the three of them come together when Cooper and Lisa uh, have to rescue Tybalt, who has been created as a walking bomb, and they have to convince him that he he really shouldn't be a walking bomb, and maybe he'd be better as a free cat. So <laughs> that's kind of the story. Oh, my God. Has, it has my. It has a lot of humor in it. I think, and I would, because you know, I think it's funny, um, and so that's my story. <laughs> I love it. And so, when does the book come out? Uh, it'll be out about a year from now. I think it's slated for fall twenty twenty two. Is when it comes out. So I, I don't have a Daw book this year. Uh, the World Cheaper series. Um, the first three books came out through Daw, and the last one was called The Moonlit World, which also was spooky because it has vampires and werewolves in it. I should mention if you want to look that one up. Uh, you have a and I will continue and the series. It's out. That's The Moonlit World was the one that came out last oh, year, okay. the third book in my World Shaper series. It was set in a world shaped by people who really like werewolves and vampires. So I, the, other, the subtitle was in my head was Werewolves and Vampires and Peasants. Oh, my. Uh, that's that one. <laughs> And I will be continuing that it. series, uh, maybe not with Daw, but I will be continuing the series. But um, I don't have a, a new, brand new book from Daw. My most <laughs> it's hard for me to stop talking about books because I have so many of them coming out all the time. Um, my newest one is actually a young adult science fiction novel called Star Song, which I also put out through Shadowpaw Press. So that's out. Oh, love it. And 
so when you were planning the story, did you plan it on purpose to be a prequel, or was it calling to you to be written? Um, I had no idea what I was going to write, but as the as the time ticked down and I realized that I had everybody's story but mine, I thought maybe I should write something. <laughs> <laughs> I've been so busy, you know. So uh, right. and then I thought, well, there's certainly I knew there was a backstory there, and it's in the in the novel, it's kind of narrated over. Uh, but there was a segment of it that I could use as the seed for the story. So part of what's in the story is actually in the novel. But then it goes off, like the opening line, which is, I met Lisa Gray the old-fashioned way at the lavish wedding of a crime boss's daughter, I think is the opening line. And I had that in the novel. And uh, so I, I took the bits that were in the novel that worked, and then I expanded that into the short story. So And it wow. did occur to me that, you know, that. since the book was coming out, next year this would be a great way to give a little teaser of it and hopefully people would buy it when it comes out that would be nice <laughs> yes yes for sure hopefully they'll read the story and want to know more about the cat <laughs> one would hope just like with your story yes. which also ties into your books yes for sure yeah my story is the lost cipher of dr john d and uh, the story was very funny because I knew that I was going to be in the anthology. I told you, yes, I would do that. But the deadline was coming up, and I was thinking, what am I going to write about? And uh, <laughs> There's a lot of that going around. <laughs> I'm, right? <laughs> and I'm not a plotter. I'm very much by the seat of my pants when I write. I just trust that I'm going to get that story idea. I subscribe to Ray Bradbury used to talk about there's a super conscious out there that wants stories told and and when one downloads in your brain you just have to write it and and I've written enough books now that I I sort of trust that the right thing will come along but this story in this anthology is it's very woo woo out there as far as how it came to me but I knew that I wanted to write a story with um, Agent Bale. Agent David Bale is part of my Sentinels of Savannah series. He's actually dabbled in a few of my different series. He works for a top secret agency of the government called Department 13, and they protect Americans from paranormal threats. And so they have this underground vault where they store artifacts and things. And so a lot of my books, when there's an adventure, you know, involving a paranormal artifact like Pandora's box or whatever, they find it and they lock it up in this vault uh, to protect Americans. And so I knew I wanted to have an adventure with Agent Bale, but I had no idea what it would be. And I was walking around. Uh, I love tarot cards and things. And I was walking around this little metaphysical shop and I saw this deck that was Dr. John D. And I'm like, who is that? And I started reading about him, and I thought, well, that's really interesting. And so I bought the deck and brought it home. And when I went to write the story, I was thinking about Dr. John D. And he wrote the Enochian language, which was supposed to be the language of angels. And so... I was looking at this and I thought, well, they've never been able to fully translate it. So what if there was a lost cipher? And my son got his master's degree in opera at the university at um, KU in Kansas, Lawrence. And I love old cemeteries. So this was a 
few years ago, I had gone to this old cemetery in Kansas, and there was this giant tomb for Usher. And I thought, oh, the House of Usher, you know, and I had taken pictures. But he actually was the interior secretary for Abraham Lincoln. And I thought that was weird, too. How did he end up in Kansas? So anyway, back to the story, I decided, well, if there's a lost cipher, you know, I'll, I'll have Agent Bale go find it. And when I started the story, I had no idea they were in Kansas. And so when I realized they were in Kansas, I was like, I remember I took pictures of some tomb there. What if it's hidden in this tomb? So the weirdness of the story was the more that I researched about John P. Escher and the tomb in Kansas and the connection to Abraham Lincoln, and I found a connection back to Dr. John D. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) And so it's really an alternate history kind of fantasy story. However, uh, when I was showing my husband all of my research, I've never researched so hard for a short story, but I showed him all my research. He goes, that could be true. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so everyone grabs the, <laughs> the, uh, the anthology, The Shapers of Worlds, and then you can read the story of John D and, and check it all out and see because maybe it's real. <laughs> yeah, that was funny because I, I sent you a link that he had popped up in the news last week because yes. they determined that an obsidian mirror that he used for scrying uh, was uh, of Aztec origin, which was interesting as well. So yeah. <laughs> it was just funny yeah. that he when popped up right me... after I'd... your story had come out. <laughs> yeah. When you sent me that link, I was like, whoa, Dr. John D. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's very interesting when, you know, things keep pinging and you're like, oh, the universe did want that story told. Uh, <laughs> <It> seems <laughs> so that way. weird. <laughs> but, uh, well, I'm sure but the universe wanted do, all of these stories told. So. <laughs> I think so. I think so for sure, yeah. But I love, um, you know, alternate history kind of, of stories that are out there. I love it when you get into it and then you're like, wow, this really could have happened this way. You know, like <laughs> the um, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. My husband yes. loved that book, and and the way they had written it, you know, he's like, whoa, there could have been vampires in the Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that, things that make you think. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you what it's like for you when you edit these anthologies, um, because you have spent most of your writing career as a writer, right? Is it fun for you to put on an editing hat? Stressful? How do you feel when you do that? Well, I've done quite a bit of editing, actually. Uh, I started my career as a newspaper reporter, and then I was a newspaper editor for four years. And I've edited magazines over the years, uh, uh, literary magazines and nonfiction magazines. So I've done done a lot of editing, and I do my own... uh, you know, I edit myself. I'm fairly good at right, editing myself, right. although it's, it's often ourselves. good to have yeah. another <laughs> another pair of eyes. Yes, another set sure. of eyes. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, and I do some freelance editing as well. In fact, I'm available for freelance editing if anybody's looking for an editor. Um, so go. yeah, I've actually done quite a bit of editing. So it, it does come, and I've also done uh, like twice. I've been writer in residence at a public library here in Saskatchewan, once in Regina and one in Saskatoon, which are like 10-month terms where you see a lot of writers who come in and you go through their stuff and you try to help them out. So that's a 
that's a very good training for looking at stories and trying to figure out what's working and what isn't working as well. Right. And so, do you enjoy the editing process? Um, I mean, obviously you do it a lot, so you must find – but it's a whole different hat, right? Yeah, it is. And uh, it's – and, of course, it's easy – you know, I talk about editing myself, but it's easier to see – Faults in other people's work than it is in your own sometimes. For sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm a great uh, uh, editor of the. Let's change the story. I'm a really good, quite a good copy editor, <laughs> and a good uh, mm-hmm. sort of line editor. But I most, I think most of the stories that came in, except for the reprints, of course. Uh, well, I think I made a suggestion here or two that I thought improved things. So, uh, and yeah. Nobody, nobody yelled at me, so I guess it was okay. <laughs> Yeah, I thought I thought that your edits were were good. I had no idea that you had an editing background anyway, so that's that makes it easier, I would think, than jumping in, you know, as a yeah, writer no, I'm quite trying com- I'm to quite wear that editor with, hat. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite comfortable with editing other people's stuff. Um, it's a little intimidating, um, I suppose, when you know you're editing like I don't know Garth Nix or you know Kelly right. Armstrong, people like that. But you know, it's, and as this was funny because I was in an anthology two or three years ago, and the editor was somebody I knew, um, made some suggestions, and they were fairly substantial. And I'm, you know, I said, okay, sure, yeah, that makes sense, and I fixed them. And then she wrote something later without naming me, but I knew she was talking about me that uh, uh, she had been intimidated about editing me. <laughs> and I said, what she found out was that. And other people, and what she found out was that the more experienced writers are the ones who are more likely to be accepting of good edits because we are all we're all used to being edited, and we know that it actually does improve the story to be edited. Usually, usually there have been right. edits that I have questioned, but uh, for the most part, my editors have been really good. Yeah, and the the tricky thing with editing is that uh for me anyway is i enjoy good edits where i realize that i didn't get that on the page this is what i had in my head but when a good editor comes through with second eyeballs and they're like i think this is what you meant i'm like oh yikes i didn't have that on the page you're right (laughs) and so that's why i think that second set of eyes is always so helpful because in my head, it's already there, you know, so it's difficult for me to read the words and not see, you know, what's in my head. Yeah. Where a second set of eyes can go, I think this is what you mean, but this isn't on the page. And you can. Yeah, that's it. a very that's a very common thing or a, a scene that's clearly clear in the author's head, but it's not clear in the reader's head when they read it or, you know, and characters seem to be jumping around because the the uh, uh, writer didn't put in the transition from one place to the next, and you have an image of them one place, and some suddenly they're somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, it's just not like, on the page. It was in the, the author's head, but it's not on the page. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why is there a nurse there? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I got some of the best writing advice when I was first starting out, and I, I hadn't gotten my first book published yet, and a friend who was a multi-published author gave me this advice, and she said, Lisa, you're not going to be able to travel with your book to tell people, see what that means? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, shoot, really? <laughs> she said, you won't Wouldn't be able it be to Wouldn't it be great to be reading over people's shoulders while they read your books? That would be great. <laughs> right, right, and pointing out, oh, you know what this really means? <laughs> Yeah, 
So you, we do have to get it on the page. <laughs> I think they call that stalking, though. It probably wouldn't go over in real, real world. <laughs> probably, yeah. I'm pretty sure we'd get in trouble for that. Um, <laughs> before we run out of time, I just wanted to ask you about um, short stories as a whole. I feel like short stories really matter because it's something people can read in one bite and get beginning, middle, end. You know, there's a high in that. How do you feel about short stories as, you know, an important part of literature? Because so often they get overlooked by novels and things like that. Yeah, well, certainly in the in the, the genre and science fiction, fantasy, especially science fiction, they've been very important over the years. All my early you know, what got me interested in science fiction, uh, I, I still have back here a two-volume set of science fiction stories from the 50s, which is a big anthology from back there. Um, and uh, so sci- short stories were a major part of my reading. I read them less now, and I've never been much of a writer of them, but I certainly think they're important, and I'm very happy to, to be able to bring some fresh ones into the world. They do bring people to new – it's a way to sample a new author as well, and perhaps that author has books you want to read, or perhaps that author is just a really fantastic short story writer, and you want to read more of their short stories. But it's a great way to sample many different authors in many different worlds and many different stories. For sure. And this anthology, definitely because each author brought their own, I love your little cabinet of curiosities, everyone brought their own, um, you know, piece to the table. And so I think that readers will get a taste of all kinds of different kinds of science fiction and fantasy type stories. Yes, there's there's something for everyone in this one, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we're running out of time, but everyone, please go and pre-order The Shaper of Worlds, Volume 2, and also go check out Ed's um, website. The link is right there, and sign up for his newsletter. And thanks so much for being here with me again. Thank you for having me on. It was great. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on Booklet. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 